0: Welcome back to Parsha Panorama. This week, Parsha Vayeshev. And with Parsha Vayeshev, we are continuing the story of Yaakov Avinu and his family. But as we mentioned last week, we have this sort of split between the tragedies of Vayeshev and the tragedies, or the big main tragedy of Vayeshev. Now, we can argue that any of the tragedies that had taken place between Vayishlach and Vayeshev could have been the worst one, right? The death of Rachel Emenu is pretty bad, or pretty sad at least. Um, Reuven getting involved in Yaakov's um, marital life is pretty awful. Dina being captured and defiled. All these are terrible. But none seem to strike Yaakov Avinu to the extent that Mechira Siyosef, obviously Yaakov doesn't know that a Mechira had taken place, but the the supposed loss of Yosef Um, nothing nothing strikes him the way that strikes him and this speaks to the obviously special relationship that Yaakov had with Yosef and we have to try to understand why exactly there was this, uh, this disparity between Yaakov's relationship with Yosef versus that of his other sons okay so we had mentioned that Vayishlach was just a slew of tragedies for Yaakov Avinu. Most of them seem to be involving children from Leah. Obviously the death of Rachel Menu is not a Leah-related tragedy. It's a Rachel-related tragedy, but yeah, um, we have to remember that Yaakov Avinu, whatever challenges are going to happen in his family, there are, there are these two main parts to his family. There's the Rachel side and there's the Leah side. Um, and whenever something arises, so it's very likely that everybody's going to be affected. And as, um, as we try to investigate the Parsha, we have to see how that affects the larger picture. So just returning to that larger picture, before we get to the specific components of Parshas Vayeshev, of which there are not so many, it'll be a pretty easy Parsha to follow, but we will just be reminded that we are now looking at Hashem's chosen family, or Hashem chose Avraham, Um, After generations of failure, Avraham is going to finally be the one who's going to restore the world to its former glory. So then Avraham had Yitzchak, and Yitzchak had Yaakov, and we had to eliminate Esav along the way. But now Yaakov's family is going to be the one through whom the entire world can be blessed, Right, so now we have this elevated family on the pedestal, and hopefully everyone else, all the other families of the world, can be connected um, through their subservience, through their assistance um, to Kla Yisrael. And Yaakov Avinu was not only um, chosen in Vayishlach officially. Right, he, maybe you could say he could argue that he was chosen in us but in Vayishlach he actually confronted the the devil himself and he was conferred with the the brachos so now Yaakov Avinu is the one but we acknowledged that last week Yaakov's battle with Aesov seems to continue but it's not with physical Esav it's with the spiritual personality of Esav the essence of Esav which is manifest in the form of deceit dishonesty strife that Yaakov Avinu experiences in his own family so, and we mentioned that Esav um, is signed out up at the end of Ayishlach. We meet the progeny of Esav. And then finally, the Chumash comes back and says, these are the toldos of Yaakov. Very fascinating is the progression. If you look very closely at the end of Ayishlach, after the story of Reven and Bilhah, which is really um, a one-liner in the Chumash, the Chumash proceeds to tell us about Yaakov's family, that Yaakov has twelve kids, right? So starting from Reuven and all the way down till Binyamin. So we have all of the all of the children of Yaakov. Then we get to the burial of Yitzchak, the passing of Yitzchak, and then we an Esav is mentioned there, and then we get the progeny of Esav. So we get Yaakov's kids, then we get Esav's kids. So the us of Esav Huadom, and then the Chumish comes back to Parashas Vayeshev, where it says Vayeshev, Yaakov uh, Be'eretz Migurey Viv Be'eretz Kanon that Yaakov is living, he's, he's, he's trying to settle down after, you know, all the difficulties he's experienced, is going to settle down and then we meet us Yaakov or Ve'eletoldos Yisrael and we see that, that Yosef is mentioned Yosef is a 17 year old, the Chumash tells us, and that Yosef um, would join his brothers when they were shepherding and he would bring these reports back and Yaakov Avinu loved him more than the others and he gave him a special coat or a tunic, the Ksonas pasim. Did it have many colors? Did it not? Was it just a fine um, tunic, um, you know, a fine linen tunic? So this is what um, Yaakov made for him and this obviously sparked envy and later hatred between um, Yosef's brothers and Yosef. So before we even get to the familial dynamic, something that we have to acknowledge, and really Chazal acknowledged this already, the Chumash starts off say, here saying that these are, this, these are the children, the progeny of Yaakov, and then it immediately cuts to Yosef. Like the camera zooms in on Yosef. There are 12 kids. We just met 12 kids in Parshas Vayishlach. The Chomish decided to, after mentioning the progeny of Esav, it comes back to the progeny of Yaakov It says, you want to know who the Toltos Yaakov is? It's Yosef. We could make the argument that the narrative, it, um, it, you know, Toldos can mean chronicles, these are the stories of Yaakov, but that's obviously not a great read here because we already had chronicles of Yaakov taking place up until this point. So all of these, you know, from from Parshas, Toldos, and on are chronicles of Yaakov. So obviously this is not just talking about chronicles, we're talking about the progeny of Yaakov, and there's obviously a special focus on Yosef. Maybe you could make another argument that it's really talking about all of the kids because um, the story that's about to happen involves all of Yaakov's children, so maybe all of the, so it's a reference to all of them. But the the the, the simplest read is not that way, and the Mefarshim don't seem to understand it that way either. Midrashim point at all the parallels between Yaakov and Yosef. Each of them were were the younger brother. They were each hated by their other. Um, they they were each hated by their brethren, and um, there and a lot of a lot of parallels that that connect Yaakov and Yosef. And Yaakov and Yosef had this unmistakable, um, heightened relationship. It was an intense relationship. So all of that considered, we mentioned that there is a clear difference between the tragedy of Mechir Yosef and all the other tragedies. Even if we could have argued that maybe, for the, the, just for example, the defiling of, of Dina, maybe that, maybe that was worse. Maybe we would only argue that based on today's culture. But my my point is that Yaakov has no shortage of tragedies, and this one didn't have to be the worst one, but it's only the worst one considering the relationship that Yaakov has with Yosef, which um, we might have said is just because of Yaakov's relationship with Rachel, but the Mefarshim don't even seem to say, that. the Mefarshim seem to say that Yosef independently had a special relationship with Yaakov. It could be that Yaakov's wish to confer the firstborn rights upon Yosef was connected to his relationship with Rachel. But the rest of Yaakov's love for Yosef, um, so the fact that Yosef was a Ben Zikun, and Mepharsham talk talked about what this means. Does it just mean that he was the son of Yaakov's old age? And Mepharshim seemed to say that it's more than that, that there, there was some other spiritual connection that, that, that existed here, and we'll have to talk more about that. But what's, what's clear is a couple of things, that the contrast between Yosef and the other brothers is set up by the chumash, even before you get to the familial dynamic, you can see it, if not in the narrative, you see it in the structuring of the psokim. Also, Chazal point out that Yosef is the apparent adversary to Esav. Where do they see this? So, one of the midrashim in the old version of Rashi, you could find this in some chumashim, um, that Rashi quotes the midrash that... All the chieftains of Esav are listed, and and then all of a sudden we meet Yosef. And what's the point of that? That Yaakov sees all the chieftains of Esav, and he's really nervous. He's like, "How will I ever be able to destroy them?" And the answer is a mushel If you see a um, a person carrying, you know, loads and loads of flax, and bundles and bundles of flax, so you might say like, "Wow, he's got a lot there." But you know, what? one spark of fire will tell, will will combust the entire um, in the entire uh, stack of of flax and it'll burn everything up, and so based on the pasuk in Ovadia, um, which was last week's haftara, so the Navi says that Esav is the house of straw, Yaakov is the house of fire, um, and Yosef is the flame to that fire. Yosef is the fire manifest. So Yosef apparently represents this force. So, so it's it's not so there's a contrast between Yosef and Esav. But also, there's a contrast between Yosef and the rest of Yaakov's kids. So, what we have to understand is why exactly that is. And again, what, um, going back to the question that we always ask is what does Vayishlach? sorry, what does Vayeshev, um represent on the larger map of the Torah? So, again, there's this very. Um, So now we we can almost get ready to go to the familial dynamic, but before we do, let's just talk about the specific components of Vayeshev, and we'll see there's another story that needs our attention... So this first section is obviously Mechiris Yosef. That's the whole beginning of the parsha. That's the whole story of Yosef telling over the dreams, um, and the brothers hating him, and the ksemenists pass him, and then they have a plan, and then Ruven intervenes, says let's not kill him, then Yehuda intervenes, and Yehuda says, okay, let's sell him. Ruven is apparently not there for that. Fine. They sell Yosef away. Or, according to the Rashabah, maybe someone else sells Yosef away. Fine. So... Yosef is sold, fine, that's the first section The second section, we take a detour The Ibn Ezra says this is a detour in time Though Chazal say, you no. Know, the story happened right where it's placed The Ibn Ezra says the story, this next story happened much earlier But it is the story of Yehuda and Tamar The story begins with Yehuda um, um, apparently demoted from his brothers for whatever reason So Chazal say it's because of Mechirus Yosef, they were upset with him over that and Yosef, uh, so Yehuda goes to um, a place called Nadulam, where he has a friend, Chira, and they, they have a business relationship, or maybe just a friendship, and um, Yehuda marries to a woman um, who's, who's known as um, one of the daughters of, of Shua, I believe, and then he has children, the children um, die, Aaron Onan, in their marriage to Tamar and the, the, um, the Chumash elaborates somewhat on the sin having to do with wasting seed, destroying seed. Fine, there's one more son, Shayla. Shayla doesn't want to, um, or Yehuda doesn't want Shayla to marry Tamar at the risk of Shayla dying, so he beats around the bush and tells Tamar to just wait a little bit. And of course, the time comes and Tamar eventually um, makes advances towards Yehuda, dressed as a harlot. Um, Tamar is dressed as a harlot, not Yehuda. And then they... they they eventually cohabit and um, in the nick of time before Tamar is about to be killed for having apparently um, um, had a relationship when she should have waited for Sheila, according to Elise Talacha, um, she's saved when Yehuda confesses after realizing that he was the one who had done the deed. And then um, the, we have the birth of Peretz and Zarach, the two twins from Tamar. So... This story, will have to. another question have to think about is what's this story doing here? It doesn't seem to have much to do with the larger picture, though textual parallels will tell you that there's a lot here. But it's just another thing to consider. So right next to Mechiros Yosef, we take this detour to the story of Yehuda and Tamar. And then we come back to Yosef in the third section, which um, is just what happens with Yosef in the house of Potiphar, and then Yosef in prison after Potiphar's wife makes advances towards Yosef. Spoke about um, the two um, stories, the story of Yehuda and the story of Yosef in Moster minutes, so you can go back and listen to that. Um, but in the meantime, um, Yosef um, denies Ashes Potiphar. Nonetheless, she accuses him, and then he's thrown into prison. And then Yosef encounters the chief butler and the chief baker. He interprets their dreams, and eventually the chief butler goes free and forgets Yosef in prison, even though Yosef said that he should remember him. So, this is the Parsha. We have Mechiras Yosef, Yehuda Tamar, and then back to Yosef in, um, in, in Mitzrayim. So, among the things that we have to consider again is why the Yehuda Tamar story is here. And also, just the larger story of how we're supposed to understand that Yehuda actually cohabited with a woman that he thought was a harlot. You know, even given all Yehuda's struggles, it's very strange that Yehuda. Who, whom we assume is one of the, you know, one of the gadol hadar even though, yes, like, you know, they, we know that Mechiros was not the right thing to do. Nonetheless, he must have been really righteous, and then we see him doing something that only low-lives do, you know, having a relationship with a harlot. So, it's, it's, uh, we have to try to figure out not just what this story is doing here but how we're supposed to relate to someone like Yehuda again even given all of his struggles you know his his wife having passed away and his sons having passed away and all the things he went through you know how how Yehuda could have done such a thing when me even many of us wouldn't have done such a thing so hopefully so what's that story doing there but the other big question of the parsha is the What we have in the title of this parsha panorama, and that is, what were Yaakov and Yosef thinking? So, this question is running with the assumption that Yaakov and Yosef were the ones who, I think, we have to argue, were the ones who set up the Mechiras Yosef. It was, it was, you know, there were mistakes on all sides. I think we can all agree that the brothers did the wrong thing by selling Yosef away. Or wanting to kill him, or do, doing all the things that they did, we, we can all we can all agree that they did the wrong thing, and they get blamed for generations for it. The Asara uh, Haruge Malchus um, is connected back to uh, to what Yosef's brothers had done. All of that considered, Yaakov Avinu, starting from him, he seems to have played favorites. It just it seems like to be the plain Push-up shot of the story, uh, a parenting mistake that. Hopefully, none of us would ever make. This is an argument we actually made about Hakadosh Baruch Hu himself back in Boratius with Cain and Hevel. We explained why that wasn't the case. That Hakadosh Baruch Hu was obviously not playing favorites, but he was um, he was responding in kind to Cain and Hevel. You can go back to the Bara'chus share and listen to that. That was titled um, Parsh Panorama Bara'chus: Is God All Good? But with Yaakov Avinu, that seems to be the plain shot in the story. And in fact, this seemingly obvious parenting mistake um, is, uh, or what looks at least like a seemingly obvious parenting mistake, is rebuked in the Gemara in Shabbos and Daf Yud, which says that you should never treat your your sons with the different measures. In the sense that you shouldn't, um, you sh, um, that you should treat them. Yes, obviously, each one what what, what they need for themselves. But but never obviously out in the open, giving someone a, a privilege that the other one's not getting, you know, with all things being equal, and that, that's what that's that's what Yaakov did. Yaakov literally um, made a special garment just for Yosef, in the sight of all the brothers, and says the Gemara that's why Galus Mitzrayim happened the way it did. So. Now what? We're So obviously we're supposed to learn from Yaakov Avinu. We can learn from the mistakes. But what was Yaakov thinking? Like, what was the Hava Amina? The Hava Amina was, Oh, but really you can, you know, play favorites with your kids. And Kamash Malan, no, you shouldn't do that. Like, what in the world? Like, what, what business, you know, does Yaakov Avinu have picking favorites in the first place? So... Why why would Yaakov display the seeming favoritism? You know, the Chumash says that Yaakov loved him because he he was a Ben Zikunim. So you have to give a shot on what Ben Zikunim is. And the Mefarshim again do that. But it's so strange. And then there's the question of Yosef relating his dreams. Right, so we would say that Yaakov could have done things differently and the tragedy of Mechiris Yosef would have been prevented. And then you could say that Yosef could have done things differently. It's not just about relating the dreams. It's about the reports about the brothers, the, uh, the seeming Lashon Hara. You know, we could make the argument, based on the Midrashim, that one of Yosef's reports might have been accurate, that the brothers would demean the Bnei Ashvachos, um, the Dan Naftali they would, that they would treat them like servants. But Yosef also accused them of um, of, of eros such as Avram and Achai and... And even, you know, the the lowest of the low, Gilo Arayos, according to the Midrashim. that he he says they're on That's pretty intense. But let, let, let's 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 keep it simple. The Yosef reporting on his brothers. And if you want to say that Yosef did the right thing by reporting on his brothers, maybe. Um, maybe maybe that, um, he should have been more down the list And maybe the, the Lashon Hara should have been less And maybe he should have been more accurate about his reporting But assuming that, he didn't, assuming that he thought he was doing the right thing Let's go to the areas where it wasn't so clear that Yosef was doing the right thing you know, Relating the dreams to the brothers Which these dreams are depicting Yosef as being on top of all of his brothers Sun and the moon and the stars bowing to him The, the wheat stalks bowing to his wheat stalk So why would Yosef do this? Like, it's, it's, kind, it's kind of strange that Yosef would act in such a way. So, you know, again, no one's defending the brothers for doing Mechiros Yosef, but at least where they're coming from, we can kind of understand it. And that drives us to this question of what were Yaakov and Yosef thinking all this time. So, we have, again, this first family, the chosen family, it's Yaakov's family. They don't seem to be really acting like a chosen family. These are supposed to be the righteous people, the most righteous people in the world. The whole entire world is supposed to be blessed through them. And this is a very unflattering parsha for all of them. So let's try to understand it a little bit. In terms of this particular story, we cannot pass go without the Rashbam. Now, there happens to be a lot of cool rosh bombs on this week's Parsha. there's a cool rosh bomb on the interpreting, the interpreting of the dreams um, that the rosh bomb, uh, had, um, he gives a shot as to how the butler and baker knew that the interpretation that Yosef gave was the right interpretation um, there's the rosh bomb which we alluded to earlier who sold Yosef but probably the most important comment of the rosh bomb in his entire Torah commentary appears at the beginning of Parshas Vayeshev, where he prepares to start talking about the story of Yaakov, Yosef, and all of the brothers. And the Rashbam makes two monumental comments, and this Rashbam is probably a Rashbam that I want to come back to in a real Talk Torah session with, um, with one of my brothers, because this Rashbam is very, again, it's monumental for learning Chumash and especially these stories. It's very telling that the Rashbam makes this comment right here on this story. There, there, there are two um, disclaimers the Rashbam makes. So disclaimer number one is really a rule from Chazal. The Gemara and Shabbos says this, um, and that rule is, me pe me That means that the, the Chumash can never be um, taken out of its original Pashup shot that's never divorced from Pashup shot, whatever you're going to say that, how to understand the Chumash you can never fully walk away from Pashup Shat. um the simplest reading so that 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 doesn't depart from the Chumash the Mikra does not does not depart from the Pashup shot, and what that means is that the Torah tends to say what it means and it also means what it says now Obviously we we end up being challenged when we get to stories like the story from last week of Ruven and Bilha. So how how do, how do we tend to that? So apparently there's something to learn from the presentation of the Khumish. And we explained with Ruven and Bilha that it could be that the Khumish wants you to see that Ruvain had done or had been guilty of such a crime, even if he didn't actually do it. Though, you know, there's the, the opinion there that you're not supposed to read that according to its pashap shot. But the point is that we never fully walk away from pashap shot. There's always something, there's some connotation from that pashap shot that we're supposed to take. So that's one. So when you see a very unflattering story about Yaakov, Yosef, and all the other brothers, there's a pashap shot there. And in this case, that pashap shot is, is not a pretty one, but that's the pashap shot. But then the Rashbam comes back with a second disclaimer. And that second disclaimer is that the Ikurash al-Torah, the, the essential of the Torah, is the drashas of Chazal, the halachos, the lessons al the lessons that come from exegesis, that come from the subtextual reading, and all of the other lessons that Chazal pull out from the Chumash and tell us about the Chumash from tradition, says the Rashbam, those are the Ikr. So again, we never fully walk away from Pashapshat. shot, And the Rashbam says, in fact, Rashi, if he had more time, he would have written a commentary that devotes itself more to Pashapshat. shot. But then, the Ikurish torah the essential of the Torah, says Rashbam is not the Pashapshat, shot, but it's everything that Chazal wanted us to know. And I think it's very telling that Rashi who did not have time to write two commentaries on the Torah, he only had time to write one, and his, his particular commentary focuses on the Drushes of Ghazal. Now why is this Rashbam so important? This Rashbam is so important, I think it's, and I think he places his comments right here so that you understand that although there's a shot story to Yosef, Yaakov, and the brothers, and although the shot looks a certain way, don't be fooled by the pushup shot to say that that's all we're looking at. You're looking at a sibling rivalry. He doesn't like him, he doesn't like him. They're mad at each other. They hate each other. You you will you'll, you'll be missing something if you don't recognize what Khazar recognized and that, that is that these were Gadolay Hador. These were holy spiritual elevated people who lived on a different playing field whose whose struggles and and decisions cannot just be left and understood as decisions that you and I would make in our own little petty lives, right? So and I'll, I'll prove to you that this is the case. If you look at Push-Up Shop, what you'll see is, yeah, we have we have a father making an obvious parenting mistake. He loves one kid more. And you can say, yeah, it's because he's from the favored wife. And we have a kid who, obviously, he's a sore winner. That's Yosef, right? or, or so it would seem. He's, he's the favorite, and he's going to make sure everyone else knows it. And he's on top. And then you have the brothers who just can't stand him. Oh, he makes me sick telling us about his dreams and his, and his colorful coat, and he's, he's, he's so special, he thinks he's so great. Well, we'll show him. That, that's what, when, you, when you have the Push up shot, that's how you might look at this. But if, you, if that's what you do, then you forget that these are adults. You forget that these people, um, not only are they adults, but you forget that, oh, you know what? Actually, when Yosef and Yaakov are making these decisions, apparently there's something more there. And if Yosef is making an allegation, now he's not just tattletaling on his brothers. He's saying that they committed adultery. Now, we know in today's culture how, how grave that is, so that's a serious allegation. And the brother's response, we want to kill him, that's not something that you do just because your brother tattletales on you. That's not something you do just because he makes me sick. So you can't just read the story... As you may tend to read it, you know. Again, just because you have an English translation of the Chumash doesn't just mean that whatever the basic Pashut says to you in the, this juvenile, simplistic reading, that it's true. I remember I was once at a I was once at a bar mitzvah, and um, one of the speakers, um, you know, a, a sister of the bar mitzvah boy, was, was talking about this story, and she referred to the egocentrism of Yosef, and um, you know, like. Not not to say that maybe Yosef didn't have at all what to work on, but that, that, that baseline presentation, which again, lacks the important nuance and the respect that we're supposed to give to these characters, who weren't just characters, but they were humans, not just humans, they were superhumans in a certain sense. They were Gedoli Hadar. So you, you can't just, you know, look at the story and be like, oh, yeah, of course, you know, he just doesn't know basic common sense. So all of that considered, we have to understand where everyone's coming from. And this is where we get to not just the Pshat story, but as we like to call it, the meta story or the, the, the drash that's taking place in Parshas Vayeshev, of which there is a lot. So let's start off with Yaakov Avinu's affinity towards Yosef. We could defend Yaakov's relationship with Yosef in a certain sense because Yosef came from the favored wife, Rachel Imenu. And you can say that Yosef was the child that Rachel and Yaakov together both shared. Binyamin was born and Rachel is already passing away.
1: So you you
0: could make such an argument. And you'll see that most of them unfortunately don't even say that. So, I'll just point out that... The Nitziv, the Tzav Paneach, the Alshech, they all seem to point out, in a certain respect, that Yaakov's affinity towards Yosef was not just basic, oh yeah, he's, you know, favorite son from the favorite wife. But there was a spiritual connection. If you look really closely at the Chumash, this is alluded to in the words Yisrael Ahaves Yosef. The Chumash is careful not to say that Yaakov loved Yosef, but that Yisrael loved Yosef. Now why is that important? So that's important Because the Chumash most of the time calls him Yaakov. And whenever it calls him Yisrael, that's because the Chumash is telling us about the spiritual mission of Yaakov Avinu. Not just Yaakov Avinu, but the national spiritual mission of the entire legacy of the family. What that means is that it wasn't just human Yaakov with human emotions that loved Yosef, but for some reason the spiritual essence of who he was, Yisrael, felt this affinity towards Yosef. For some reason, he's drawn towards Yosef, a reason that he cannot possibly himself not explain. And that's because Hashem, for whatever reason, put this connection there between Yaakov and Yosef. What were there? Was there a possible parenting mistake in the execution of the parenting and how Yaakov managed things? That's possible. The Gemara wouldn't tell us otherwise that Yaakov seemed to have made a mistake here but recognize that the relationship between Yaakov and Yosef is really a relationship between Yisrael and Yosef. That the way Hashem wanted history to be guided was such that Yisrael, for the needs of Yisrael, there had to be this affinity between Yaakov and Yosef. So that's the first step. The, the Ramban alludes to a similar point. On the words Emek Hebron, the, the Ramban points out that Emek, so really, Rashi already points this out, that Hebron wasn't a valley. Yosef is being sent to go see his brothers. This is another question that I should have asked earlier, and that is, why would Yaakov go send Yosef to see his brothers? You know, Yaakov says, okay, Yosef, you want to go check on your brothers, see how they're doing? That's, is that not an obvious death wish, a death mission that Yaakov has for Yosef? So why would Yaakov do that? And this, is, this obviously seems like it's, it makes no sense at all. Even if Yaakov's point was to tell Yosef to go make peace with your brothers, but sending him all the way out to the wilderness where we don't know what's going to happen to him, we don't know if the brothers are going to take too well to Yosef coming up and visiting them again. Why would Yaakov do that? Why would anyone on, you know, you know, with, with their better judgment do such a thing? and the says that yeah you know it wasn't with the better judgment Sarashi says in the word Emek chevron that it wasn't a valley Chevron's not a valley it, but Emek refers to the depth the depth um, meaning that Hashem had a mission here Hashem had intended from the, from the beginning of time or at least from the beginning of the Brisbane Habasarim when communicating with Avram Avinu that your children are going to go to Gullus and that's what Yaakov inherits when Yaakov becomes the first born to Yitzchak that's what he inherits he inherits the, the, the mission of Avraham Avinu when, he, when Yaakov receives the Birkas Avram he gets everything that that comes with and that comes at the Brisbane Bin and that means that they're about to go to Galus, and that means that Hashem is guiding history in such a way that the brothers are going to end up in Galus. now did it have to be Avodas Parach in the subjugation of Mitzrayim? not necessarily part of that is based on the decisions made by Yosef and his brothers and by Yaakov Avinu a lot of mistakes as I mentioned were made in this Parsha People were hurt in this parsha, in the making of this parsha. There were people that were harmed, unfortunately, by mistakes made by humans. But HaKadosh Baruch Hu also has to guide history. And history weaves its way. And, you know, um, the Hashem's plan weaves its way into the machinations of man. So man does what he's going to do, and Hashem guides that towards the destination that he wants to go in. And therefore Yaakov did not have his better judgment with him when he sent Yosef to see his brothers. And that's also why Yaakov has this strange and unexplainable affinity towards Yosef that most people shouldn't have. It's not just a game of favorites. So Yaakov has this unexplainable affinity towards Yosef he has this unexplainable mission for Yosef to go to find the brothers and what happens? Yosef doesn't even go the right way he doesn't go the right way an ish comes along or he goes the right way but he doesn't find his brothers and an ish comes and says oh your brothers are over there who's this ish? Chazal us Malach Gabriel. why is Hashem sending a Malach to do this? he's sending Yosef to die? no, he's sending Yosef in the direction that he wants him to go and we get to Mechiras Yosef. The brothers make a decision, the wrong decision. But going back to how you're supposed to understand that this is not just a simple story of we hate him, we don't, we want to get rid of him. According to the Mefarshim, they formed a bason, and they decided this is what was most appropriate. This is the right thing to do. So they make their decision, the wrong decision, but a decision with uh, with, with with a certain degree of wisdom, and ultimately we see what's going to be of Yosef's dreams, right? That's what the brothers say. But according to Chazal, who's saying that, Rashi tells us, Akadosh Baruch who's saying that. Why? Because Yosef's dreams are meant to come true. They are supposed to go into Golas because of the original plan of the Burst of Asarim. They're going to make it there. And hopefully, you know, it it can be an easy Golas or it could be a hard Golas. That depends on if the brothers are going to make a mistake, which unfortunately they do. Now in terms of Yosef telling over the dreams So some, you know, we did gloss over this But the Mefarshim talk about this, this I mean the Sfarnos uh, does ascribe Yosef's telling over the dreams to immaturity But the Russian the and they both say That it's because no Yosef thought it was an avuah That he was supposed to tell over The Archaim and the he say that this was Yosef's way Of telling his brothers not to be mean to him Because uh, maybe One day they'll have to serve him So some of this sounds immature Some of this maybe just sounds like Yosef doing What he thought was the right thing to do but as, as we're understanding, everyone is working not with their best judgment now, and it's because even though everyone has free choice, but um, Hashem could send people in certain directions to push them in a certain direction, even if they have free choice, and if Hashem wants history to be guided in a certain way, it's going to get there anyway or it didn't have to happen through Mechiras Yosef, but if Mechiras Yosef was going to be the story that it was going to be happening through because people were making decisions in such direction, so that led itself to where the brothers led themselves. And that brings us back to the story of Yehuda and Tamar. So we ask the question of why the story of Yehuda and Tamar is even here. Now if you go back to Muser Minutes, you'll hear exactly what I have to say about that story and the connections between that and Yosef. What we'll see is that even Yehuda, um, you know, who has a very parallel story to Yosef, but obviously different, Yehuda does the deed with Tamar, but the, the, the main takeaway from, from that story, I think, is a very similar line from Chazal. So we have a Midrash that's quoted in the Reishas Rabbah. There are a bunch of different versions of how to understand the story. There's there's a machlokas within the, the rishonim, within the Achronim. Did Yehuda, you know, intend just to be with a harlot, you know, like in the normal way that we you can imagine that? And some say that you no, know, like the Mizrahi quotes an opinion that really Yehuda was trying to affect kedushin. I know that all Shah, I know that at least Dr. Irving Feinstein had said once to my brother Mendy that he doesn't buy that. The Yehuda wasn't trying to marry this woman, he was trying to, or he was just, you know, just you know, for just one night. Which is obviously very unflattering and hard for us to understand, especially for someone like Yehuda. But the Midrash, there's a Midrash that Mizrahi quotes, and that, that Midrash explains that Yehuda was not a way to do such a thing. Maybe even on Yehuda's worst day, he would never do such a thing, to, to live with a harlot. Even despite all of his challenges, but a malach pushed Yehuda. Now, what does that mean? A malach pushed Yehuda. Does that mean Yehuda didn't have free choice? I don't think it means that. I don't think it means that Yehuda didn't have free choice. Yehuda had free choice. He engaged in the deed, but a malach was pushing him in a way that wasn't even within his re- within his regular judgment. Yes, Yehuda might have had an inclination, and yes, Yehuda might have engaged in a free choice and done the deed. But Yehuda was not functioning on a regular level And why? Why is a malach going out of his way to push Yehuda here? And the answer is Because Hashem is guiding history Towards the creation of Mashiach right? Because through Yehuda and Tamar Just like through Mechiros Yosef There's going to be a Galus Mitzrayim Which is going to eventually turn into a Yetzias Mitzrayim In which Klai becomes a nation We have a split screen Because with Yehuda and Tamar We're setting up the ultimate geula Yosef is going to be the beginning of, of the geula for Mitzrayim But Yehuda and Tamar That story is going to be the beginning Of the creation of the final Geula Mashiach ben David And so what do we see here? What we see here is that In this incredible family Which again we owe certain respect And we have to read very carefully Because you might miss this as You might miss and dismiss this as Just a story about a bunch of cranky people Chas When, in reality, we have a story about really holy and calculated people making slight miscalculated mistakes. And, in part, because there are angels working in the background, there's a HaKadosh Baruch Hu trying to set up the ge'ula. This is not taking away from mistakes made by people, but again, everything, all of history and all of life is going in the direction so that this great family will eventually... Rise to the occasion and rise above these challenges, so that they won't be having what looks like petty fights, or even 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 these uh, even a machlokas l'shem shemayim. But it won't be in strife. But there will be people who will eventually reunite, and when they do, that's going to represent you know again the bnei rachel, the bnei leia coming back together. But not just that, all stories that are creating and uh, the the unfolding of the eventual geula. This is going to be the family through whom everyone's going to be blessed, and it's going to be because of their rising above these challenges. But again, that, that, that's what this is a parsha, that's, that, that's what this parsha is about. It's about Yaakov Avinu, he has family challenges coming from both ends. There's the B'nai Ralea challenges, the B'nai Rachel challenges, and these are all very highly spiritually sophisticated challenges, which we cannot really understand. But these holy people are going to go through these challenges because this is what it means to go into Gaulis to be part of the Brisbane of Asarim. And this is what it means when, unfortunately, you have the, the cloud of Esav hovering over you. So all the things that Yaakov went through in his marriage to Leah, those were all again because Yaakov took on the mission of Esav. We said that last week. But, but Yaakov's own challenges with, with, the, with his Ben Rachel, with his B'nai Rachel, those, the, those don't, you know, go away either. Yaakov's challenges in Vayishlach were all because of his relationship with Esav, because Yaakov had to take on the mission of Esav. But Yaakov's challenges in Parshas Vayeshev are all because the Brisbane of Asarim dictates that even in, even in the quote-unquote chosen part of his family, there are going to be challenges. But of course, at the end, um, our, our Avos and our and our ancestors, they will rise above. And Be'ez Shem next week will pick up with Parshas Miketz, where we are going to see how that gaula begins to unfold for the, for, for the chosen family and we'll, we'll, we'll see it begin to come to fruition. Anyway, have a wonderful Shabbos. Thanks for tuning in to Parsha Panorama here at the Database.